It's been a minute, but we're back. Um, this is the fourth episode of Citizens of Nowhere, and this week we're talking to Paulina Olivares, who is a talented image maker who's come from America, via Chile, like through New York, and is now in London. And basically she's a pretty amazing person, and I'm excited for you to hear about it. My name is Paulina Olivares. I'm currently completing my MA at St. Joseph Martins in fashion image, fashion communication and promotion. Uh, previously, I have worked as a fashion assistant uh, in New York, uh, and I studied journalism. I remember the first time we met at school, we immediately talked about like migration and the fact that our identities are like very bits of puzzles put together. So talk us a bit through that? Um, well, I was born in Chile uh, in a family that, you know, I was raised by my grandparents, so I grew up with really traditional values and a lot of folklore, uh, which was not the same kind of upbringing my cousins had, so maybe even a generation back. Um, and then I moved to Georgetown, South Carolina, which is a small town in the Bible Belt at the age of nine with just my mom. So from very early on, I experienced a fragmentation of identity that I only very recently found the words for. Uh, and I grew up in South Carolina, and it was really weird because I was, you know, there weren't that many Latin people there, and I was the only Latin kid in my classes, and and you're kind of stuck between the desire to be true to yourself and the desire to assimilate. And especially early on as a young kid, you really want to assimilate and fit in and be part of the group. Um, and it's something that kind of went away. Uh, I assimilated quite well into my life and I worked or whatnot. And every time I went home to Chile, it would kind of flare up a bit. My family would say on the one side they'd say your roots are here you're from here remember that and in the same breath they would say but don't go out onto the street alone because you look like you're not from here um, my friends would call me gringa in chile which is what you would call like yankee basically uh somebody from the states and then in south carolina i wasn't fully from there so it really just left me with a sense of placelessness that i've carried very early on and i remember in the first day of class, you talked about your interests and, um, and the, you know, uh, citizens of nowhere. And, and I was so refreshed to meet someone who had a struggle with these things, too, because um, it's not something that people had really talked about when I was growing up. It seems to be very of the moment. Now people are sharing their stories and then it's given rise to other people being able to share their stories. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's been quite quite new. And I think St. Jose Martin being, you know, one of the first things I saw upon arrival was a flyer that they have around everywhere that says creativity must exist beyond borders or must function beyond borders, something to that effect. And I grabbed the flyer and I went home and I put it on my wall and I still have it on my wall. Um, obviously national borders, but also personal borders. Um, and it's been really interesting to kind of study how personal borders and national borders Entwine. 
Do you think we do have creativity like beyond borders? Do you think more so now than we ever have had before? I think so, uh, but I think that that's largely due to the internet. Um, the internet has allowed the breakdown of borders, which is because I think it's it's allowed us to have similar knowledge or and the same almost, knowledge. Like, borders that we choose. Yeah. Like, because you have your algorithm and everything that's very much bubbling you into, like, a specific place, but it's one that's, like, based off of, like, interests rather than location. Yeah. And, I mean, it's different for, I think, Gen Z, because the internet that you're describing is the current internet. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking about the internet, like, early aughts internet, like, where we were all on Messenger, and we had LimeWire and Mega Upload, and we could get any movie, any band, any discography... And I realized when I would go home to Chile during those, like, high school years that my friends were seeing the same TV shows and listening to similar music that I was. Like, we were all going through a scene phase. They used in My Chemical Romance, shout out. Um, and I was doing it in Georgetown, South Carolina, and going to my local Hot Topic, and then my friends in Chile were doing, listening to the same music and doing it in their own spheres. So it made me feel a bit closer to those people, and I kind of began to realize that maybe my experience... For my final major project, uh, which is my the culmination of my MA research, I'm, I'm doing, I've done a few different things, and I did one collaboration with photographer Heather Glazard uh, called Warmth from Afar, which I got the title and the idea from this really frustrating long-distance non-relationship I've had with this boy for ages, and it's been really on and off. And a few months ago, I sent Tim a selfie, I think. And he sent me a selfie back, and the caption of that said, just two bodies trying to feel warmth from afar. And I thought that it was such a beautiful phrase and such a sad sentiment, because, yeah, no matter how much we tried to connect over Skype, it wasn't enough. Like, we just needed something physical and visceral and not just on a screen. Um, so I kept that idea, and then reached out to designer Lian Huang, who just completed her uh, BA here at CSM and did a really amazing food-based collection. It's a really, really, lots of accessories and forks and tiny bits. So I wanted her to let me dress for another shoot. And she said she was leaving the country for till November. And I was like, right, well, I'll shoot it tomorrow. So I kind of threw it together. And it's the story of three friends from different places um, who have a really hard time connecting with each other uh, via technology. And, and I used a tin can phone uh, that I made. I drank like two cans of soup that week so I could make that tin can phone. Um, so th yeah, that's a metaphor for the trouble that we have connecting despite, and despite the technology. And they walk through Hempstead Heath and Parliament Hill and through the woods and eventually meet up to have a picnic. And it's something that's so simple. And I think that that's what I keep coming back to as much as be this immigrant identity, this complex thing makes you think so much about differences. Ultimately, I think I keep coming around to like, but what brings us together? Like, what is that thing that unites us? And one of it is food. And then another one is just, like, wanting to be with the people you like. Like, just wanting to, like, do nothing with the people that you care about and people who care about you. So, yeah, that's...
that was what that story was about. Um, three looks from one designer. I got cast from a bunch of different places, including E2. So thank you for your help in casting that. Um, and yeah, one of the pictures got picked up by Vogue. And I think Heather got into the next stage of the competition with, with that photo. So really nice, really exciting. And we're going to submit it somewhere to print. But that's one of the issues of kind of being an image maker is like having people to publish your work, even if it's really nice work. Yeah, that's like one little facet of of the project or of the ideas that I feel like I'm wrestling with. Because not only is it a frame intention of identity, it's a loss of home, um, a loss of nation, and which I, I said those two things separately because they are two very separate things, two very different things. Um, and then, yeah, like a, a loss of contact with the people that you care about. Um, so, yeah, overwhelming feelings of loss, but also, like, you, f you do gain so much when you leave your borders, and, and as much as you lose one thing, you're, you're nourished by others and new places and new people that you come across, and it's a lot of kind of rhizomatic ideas that I'm exploring in regards to the immigrant identity. It's been a luxury, honestly. I think I could not pay for the kind of therapy that this project has has given me. I've never been asked to think about these things. And from the second I got here, I was asked to think about these things. And I've realized that a lot of other Latin American students in particular have been asked the same things. And I think it's because we're so far from Latin America that Europeans and English people are like, what what does that even mean? Like, where are you from? They don't, many haven't been, or if they've been, they've been to Costa Rica or, you know, just which it's really hard. People from Africa have been saying this for ages, and I'm just going to re reiterate it for Latin America. You cannot distill a whole continent, like every facet, every country of a continent into just like, oh, you're Latin American or you're African, like, or you're European, like being... Phrasing it in terms that I guess would be easily more easily understood by the cultural hegemony, which starts in Europe and still remains. Um, yeah, it, you can't. Being Polish and being English is not the same thing. Being Scottish and being English are the same thing. You can't get so mad about differences between Manchester and Liverpool and not understand that those differences are carried over and multiplied when you're talking about national borders. And I think that that's been part of the reason that the questions co have come up. Um, but yeah, I'm just really grateful to, to get to, to think about these things. Has it been interesting kind of being grouped together with people that you might not have otherwise felt like an affinity for? Like when you are in Chile, you don't necessarily need or want to feel any association with someone from like even Puerto Rico or like Colombia or Bolivia. And yet now you're here and it's kind of like, like is that empowering or is that kind of shit? I think it's really wonderful because there's a funny study I did. I did this research a while ago for my BA uh, about personality types and it said I think we spoke about this on the first day that we met that um, third culture kids that's what they're called right I haven't mm -hmm. yeah third culture kids which are kids that grew up beyond borders or moved when they were young uh, out of their country they 
assimilate very well, they make friends very quickly, and they also connect the best with other third culture kids because, and this is, uh, this has been studied across military children because they move a lot and have, you know, when you learn to code switch and navigate multiple cultural situations from an early age, it makes you really flexible. And I think all of the kids that I've met here that are Latin American, they've experienced those same, that same alienation from home, that same transgression of expectation because it is really hard to leave. Our countries are not wealthy. Um, and I would say, uh, you know, there's some kids that manage to come here from Latin America that come from really, really wealthy backgrounds, and then there's others that come from really, really humble backgrounds. And, and to, to study what it means to have a humble background in Latin America and what it would mean here, you know, those are different things. But it's something that another Latin American understands, you know, and it's and it's kind of nice. I before I left New York, f being a fashion assistant works in circles where like you get tapped and you become part of a group and people know that they can rely on you and you get calls back. I got I became part of a group that was um, led by this wonderful uh, young man. I don't even know how old he is, but he's really tiny and like fabulous. Uh, He's from Ecuador, and or is he from El Salvador? I think from he's from Ecuador. I have another friend from El Salvador. But I always enjoyed when we all got together, all of the like Latinos who lived in New York. We would Spanglish. We would switch from Spanish to English, and it would be so. I just we would have so much. I, I found it really fun because there are manners of expressing that you only get to express in your own language. And I know we've spoken about that yeah. before. Between like there's French I and mean, between French and English, like. So well, much is lost. Or even just French and Spanish have so many more similar aspects as well. Like, mm -hmm. But it is just that comfort. And I think, I mean, in university, basically all my friends were from Paris. Mm -hmm. Just because we could franglais together. Yeah. And I feel so much more comfortable speaking to someone who's bilingual. Just because, or even, not even necessarily bilingual with French and English, but just someone who understands when you don't remember a word, mm -hmm. and it's not a reflection on intelligence, but literally just there's too much happening in your brain, and people sometimes, I think people, monolingual people will just like dismiss it as like a, I don't know if you've experienced that, but I really I have. I feel like I have it in a long time, oh, because I've been lucky to be around foreign people. Yeah. Even in New York, like I worked at an Italian restaurant, so tons of Italian friends, and yeah, yeah. so maybe... I've forgotten what that's like. But I remember that being, in, like, when I was a kid, that was a huge, like, point of, it was, like, really hurtful to not yeah. be able to express myself. Because you get dismissed. You like, get dismissed. So much. And it still happens. I mean, I think it's a real privilege, which I carried with guilt for some time, to be able to speak English at the, at the level that I speak English and to be able to speak it with a neutral American accent for the mm -hmm. most part. Um, because I pass. Yeah. And Passing means that you're safe. Nothing makes you more aware of your limits and your boundaries and your ways of being than leaving. Yeah. And then you're exactly sure, like, oh, this is the way I do things. It's not the way you do things. It's, I find it really, really funny. I think there's a distance we get. Like, we can, we're at, like, we have a distance in every situation, which mm -hmm. is, like, awesome but scary. Yeah, like both a distance and a pass. A yeah, bit, yeah, like, you're not ever fully in 
but because you're not ever fully in, you also don't get sucked in. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, like, very protective. It is. Um, I felt growing up that it was that very thing that allowed me to explore style. Um, I remember being in ninth grade, and I had a really good drama camp. Uh, of course, I'm a theater kid. makes total sense. And I started wearing fishnets and black. This is the aforementioned screamo face. Um, and I had a class with this girl named Brittany who would grow to be best all around her and her boyfriend who were so cute and like she was like head cheerleader and she was so sweet and smart she's a nurse now she just looked at me and she was like like wow I wish I had the courage to wear that but she said it in a complimentary way which now as an adult I realize she may have not meant it as a compliment but I still think that Brittany was really nice and what she meant was that being a blonde, like a pretty blonde girl from South Carolina meant that she had to stick to those rules. But being that I was none of those things and from neither of those places, I could choose my own rules. Yeah. I got to define what being Paulina meant because there was no other Paulinas in the school. I got to define what being like a Latin American woman meant in that school because because I had my own group. I feel like, I don't know if this is going to be a question or a statement, but... Like, maybe that's kind of a thing about fashion that's definitely, like, resonated with me. Like, I mean, I've always been into fashion because I could pretend to be something every single day because I was never assigned what I was. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't American, I wasn't Swiss, I wasn't Belgian, I wasn't English. Like, I was white, but I was constantly told that if any far-right movement got, I would also have to leave and wouldn't yeah. be considered white. So it's like... Like, white butt. (laughs) Maybe through fashion, all of us who weren't assigned roles had to, like, make a group that they could all fit in. It's like, no matter where I am in the world, if I see someone wearing a similar outfit or an outfit that I like, I feel an affinity with them. Mm -hmm. Because I need that aspect of wherever I am in the world, because nowhere is home. Yeah. Ultimately, that is, from my research which I spoke about last week at the media, and I, I think that that is one of the most basic human needs is the need for community, to feel that you're part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Um, and fashion is a really great way to, to do that or to define, you know, when you feel shapeless, to give yourself shape and to give yourself, you know, I remember the first time that I started wearing heavy jewelry on days that I would feel really down. So I would just put on, like, big cuffs and I would put on like lots of chains and then I felt protected because I would look tough on the outside like I would wear my black lipstick and I knew every time I'd catch myself in the mirror I was like oh you're that bitch today and it felt good to be that bitch that day and then on other days I wanted to be someone else and and yeah it gives a lot of freedom but I think it takes courage because especially early on it's hard to, to still be different it's hard to even when you're making, like, oh, yeah, I'm wearing vintage Vivian Westwood. You don't know anything about that. And, yeah, they still they don't know anything about that. And you'll still get made fun of because you're, you know, wearing, I don't know. I mean, vintage Vivian Westwood. <laughs> Who could make fun of anyone for wearing that? <laughs> Maybe a bad example. But, yeah. But, um, yeah. But I guess you kind of have, like, you get the illusion that you chose your protection. Mm-hmm. Rather than, like... 
Well, you're going to be judged anyway. Yeah. So you might as well... Be judged on, like... Something you choose, (laughs) yeah. Or, like, be able to mediate the reaction, right? I think it's really important. I think women learn that from a very young age. Being an immigrant teaches you the same thing in a different way. You're kind of moving away from styling now, right? Uh, Not away from, but beyond. Okay, Um, I like that distinction. Yeah, uh, I... I kept. I got asked so many times this year. What do you want to do? What did you think? What's your thing? And I didn't have an answer for most of the year. And then this summer, I realized that I want to be a storyteller. And that I've always been a storyteller. I just like talking. Uh, I I like hearing from people. I like sharing, and dress styling is is a huge part of how I communicate as people. And I think. It's important to be literate in it because you're being judged on those things whether you did, whether you tried or didn't try. The fray in one sleeve that you get from somebody who nervously picks at it, I mean, those things tell you something about that person and tell you something very, very intimate. So I'm not moving away from styling. I just want to be responsible for more than just putting pretty clothes on a pretty body. Like I really would love to do movies one day and I've worked on a movie once before and I really liked the set and I really liked the energy on set and it was super different than a fashion shoot. I felt like fashion shoot, people are always stressed out. Which already like, why? Why are you so stressed out? I know that we have however many images, I know that the client is here, I know this is billions of dollars, but we're, we're not saving lives? So everyone chill out. And I think on film sets, as much as I, I don't have as much experience, so, wow. But I felt like the crews in general, maybe because the days are longer and, you know, you've got two months worth of this. So, like, you know, when you have to do your job, you do your job and then you kind of sit around for the rest of the day. But it was a different it was a different approach because it was not so much about making this fantastical, aspirational image, but something that people could relate to. So, so yeah, storytelling and fashion is part of that, and set design is part of that, and creative direction is part of that, and symbolism that you pick up from references, um, part of that. I mean, I think it's, for me, for my practice, I find it really important to to research previous artworks and then previous use of visual imagery symbolically, because everything that you choose has a meaning, whether you chose that meaning or not. So it's important to be aware of those things. So yeah, we'll see where I take it. I have no idea yet. <laughs>